0: It's a good thing they didn't hear everything we just said.
1: It really is. Hi, I'm George Teckmanchuk here with Steve. The actually it says SD.
0: Yeah. The Big Cat
1: Anderson. This is yet another Easton Target Archery podcast. Uh, kind of an in betweener, uh, Steve, because we've just had a, a crunch of several events. We got a bunch of other stuff about to come up. But as we sit here right now, is there much going on in your world? Because I don't think there's a whole lot else going on in mine.
0: Little break at the moment, finally get a weekend off for you know this weekend and next. And then we're back to Louisville. Um and then it's like full swing. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So speaking of Louisville, um, it's not just the NFAA Indoor National that's taking place in Louisville, but it's also going to be this separate but integrated event, which USA Archery is putting on, which is gonna have all the finalists from the sort of mail match, you know, the 30 location all rolled into one kind of deal that we saw world, uh, excuse me, USA archery put on. Yes. Have been. Uh, Eastern Archery Center here in Salt Lake City was the host of the uh, one of the bigger uh, turnouts. And um, is that the one you shot or did you have a chance to shoot that particular one?
0: I didn't shoot no. one. Because so, you, yeah.
1: you, you were in Foley at the time, right?
0: I was in Foley, and just the way the schedule worked out, I just, I just didn't get to shoot one this year. So, oh, Linda shot it. Linda shot it, and she's, uh, she took second in the senior division combined. She's in third, I believe.
1: Right, so she's a contender for the uh, cash prize that's going to be contested in Louisville.
0: Yep, correct.
1: And I presume you're going to get your coach's fee.
0: Uh, it's the same as my podcast fee. So, yeah.
1: <laughs> hey, I put in for you to get double your fee and, uh, and they yeah. said no problem. No problem yeah, at all.
0: They're, it's they're really good about, you know, X times zero. Well, whatever we want.
1: It works good for their budget.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, there, you know, look, I know you don't want to talk about what's going on, but, um, we did have a chat with, uh, Tom Dillon. Uh, from World Archery to get the lowdown on exactly how some of the world events are affecting things. And um, I'm going to take this moment just to touch base with Tom and go through uh, exactly what's going on in World Archery in the context of what's going on in Europe right now. Tom, this past week has been a difficult one because there's a lot of, I'll just say, non-archery related things that definitely affect the sport going forward. And um, that is, of course... The events that have been taking place in Ukraine, um, which, by the way, uh, is the home, really, of world archery, the ancestral home, shall we say, because it was back in 1931 when a city that was then in Poland, um, Luf, became uh, the springboard for world archery. There were something like eight countries that got together, Czechoslovakia being one of those, no longer existing as an independent country, but others were countries like the United States of America um, and uh, Poland and a number of others. And those countries formed the basis for what got archery back in the Olympic Games decades later. Um, Today, the city is known as Lviv in uh, Ukraine, and it has become sort of the, um, the gathering spot for people who are fleeing the situation that is unfortunately taking place. But uh, it is inextricably tied to the history of WA. And um, I just wanted to get your thoughts on on this effect with the IOC having taken the lead um, and most world sporting federations, even Formula One, now deciding to ban archers from, in our case, archers, Russia and Belarus. Um, it's not about the archers. It's about the situation, isn't it?
2: Yeah, absolutely. And and I think, I, look, it's, it's been a difficult situation. First of all, I would like to say that our number one concern uh, when this all started was to make sure that the athletes from Ukraine that were at that time in the Para World Championships in Dubai, that we got them back safe to home or as close to home as possible. We are uh, now in a situation that uh, half of the team is actually in leave. Uh, and so they made it completely home and the other ones are taken care of by our uh, Polish Federation, the Polish NOC and the Polish Sports Ministry, and they will go whenever it, it makes sense uh, to, to their home. Um, but um, that was our first priority. And then the second priority is is the safety and the integrity of our competitions. And, and um, if you see the, 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 the words that you see on all kinds of media and so on it's 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 it's, it's also as uh, i would say this protect uh, some of the athletes from the countries that are now banned and we we need we need to find solutions we need to find uh the I uh, it's clear no one wants it to last forever uh and and it's so sad you see there was a picture posted on facebook a few days ago where, where you had victor ruban from beijing and a Russian archer and he, and if you know a little bit about the history of archery in the soviet union uh most of the archers came from from ukraine i, I would say were trained in ukraine yeah so like yeah Vladimir ukraine Sherev, and Kazakhstan Sherev,
1: and, as well yeah
2: Vladimir Shev, uh, zabrotsky uh all of them trained in the ukraine when when the when I would say the national training center was in ukraine for the soviet Union so it's it's i I know that the it, the last few years it has become more tense, but this was really one big archery family from the entire Russian-speaking area that was that was together in Ukraine. so it's 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 terrible. It's yeah terrible for it.
1: no, you're you're absolutely correct. And these are friends of ours, um, close friends of ours in some cases. Vladimir and I go back forty years almost. and uh, it's a difficult thing to see. Uh, And again, you know, uh, politics, I've always felt does not belong in sport, but sometimes politics does things that transcend even sport. And, uh, you know, obviously this is not about the athletes or the officials being penalized. It's, it is the priority to fairness and access to competition. Uh, The response to what is happening, um, you know, it, it's a symbolic gesture as much as anything else. And it is unfortunate that people that we know and care about are caught up in this.
2: Yeah, because it's it from a pragmatic point of view. Uh, for the athletes that are now not allowed to participate, uh, to travel to any other area at the moment is simply impossible as well. So it's in a certain sense, at least it gives them a certainty. Um, it's not the certainty they want, of course, but at least there is a certainty because imagine uh, practicing, doing qualifications to go to events and then being told, well, you can't go because... Well, basically, there's no flight going there, or you have to go through, I would say, around the North Pole to get from from Russia to, let's say, Munich.
1: Yeah, and even then, the airspace is closed for direct flights as it is uh, right now as we speak. On the uh, positive side, I guess, uh, at least, there weren't any planned events that will have to be rescheduled that would have taken place um, in any of the affected areas. So, uh, at least for this upcoming season, should not be any big impact on specific events that would have been held that now would have to be rescheduled or canceled or somehow otherwise reallocated. At least that's not not a concern there.
2: No, the only event I'm thinking of, and okay, it's not an not event that is, I would say, uh, on on our world's ranking calendar, but there is every year a, a quite big event in live, uh, organized yes. by people there and, 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 and that's for sure will not be healthy this year yes
1: right. yeah and you're right that that event has been taking place every year for the last several years and uh, you know it's an archery tournament that generally attracts the best athletes of eastern europe and uh we just uh, wish the best to our friends wherever they are from who are affected by this situation uh one way or another um you know things that are out of control We've gotten used to things that are outside of individual people's control over the last couple of years. This one, however, definitely hits home when you consider its proximity to so many of the finest uh, competitors in our sport. And so our best wishes to everybody involved and hope yeah, for and peace as soon as
2: possible. Our biggest wish is that no one in the Archery family will get hurt or even worse.
1: Yes. Back to... Uh, Current events and some very positive things that have taken place in the past couple of weeks in Dubai, where we saw what I think, Tom, you might agree, is a successful debut for doubles competition tested at the World Archery Para Championships in Dubai. I think that that was, um, I don't mean to speak for anybody at WA, but from uh, my perspective, I had the impression that that was a very successful aspect of this event.
2: Absolutely. And I would say the reason we did it, and and, and it has shown already its value, was to have more women's participation because, uh, unfortunately, many, I would say, uh, uh, para-teams rather were sending a third man than a second woman. And now uh, it has uh, uh, really pushed participation, and especially in the W1 event as well, where we finally had a, a real team competition because for W1s it's clear that, okay, uh, finding people that satisfy those criteria is not easy and then finding three is even more difficult. So it was definitely a success. It opens perspectives. I'm not saying that it's, 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 it's a thing for tomorrow, but it opens perspectives to the future for other uh, use of doubles. Uh, we already had a try in, in the university game some uh, years ago, but that was really for number reasons. But we'll see. I, I uh, We have to learn from it and see what the impact will be uh, on other events uh, in the
1: future. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but the philosophy historically has been see if we can get this added rather than have it replace something currently existing. Um, would that still be the philosophy applied to this if, the, if it does come into play in mainstream archery?
2: My guess is yes. Not for every event. In certain events, it might be replacing something else. In others, it might be in addition. Uh, it's too soon to tell. Um, sure. It's clear if we look on the para side. Um, this will be the, the discussion. And I'm talking now, uh, Los Angeles. Does it make sense to to add a doubles event to to Los Angeles for the paras, or are we going to look more to? Uh, things like visually impaired uh, or short stature or, or other, uh, I would say, uh, para events that might be added. So th- there will have to be a, a discussion uh, at the level of, of, of our Congress and, uh, and, and member associations to see what makes most sense uh, when we start looking at, uh, at programs for, for uh, uh, Los Angeles for, for what concerns the para. Then for the non-para side, too soon to tell we, we need to see really how, how things go and uh there might be uh some testing at, at World Cups like when we did introduction of the of the the mixed team event uh, uh many many years ago
1: yeah that was in Dover
2: we will see uh the thing is like uh we're trying to 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 reduce the number of days of our events so adding more more Medal events to 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 the competitions is, 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 is a little bit incompatible with that, so sure we'll see, we'll see.
1: speaking of uh the week in Dubai, uh, I've got to say that when you look at somebody like Matt Stutzman and that story of how Matt Stutzman defeated a guy that he inspired to come into the sport, two ar- armless archers, um in this case, Alexander Gombozapov. Um, you know, Matt and Alexander shooting against each other made for a great story, got a lot of media attention outside the sport of archery, I I believe. And, uh, it really was a great cap for a fantastic career of Matt Stutzman. I, I think that that was an outstanding, uh, outcome from Dubai this year.
2: Absolutely. And okay. How Matt got to the final is even more, I would say, showing, his, his skills is that uh, he had to overcome a, a major equipment failure and and okay uh, having the new rule in play uh, with with no equipment failure during the qualification rounds he he was ranked much lower he had to defeat his his teammate in in the in the first round he sh- he was shooting that that is no I would say this is is not s- no one body either he, he was the <laughs> the winner. Uh, Years ago, of another major event, uh, and then, uh, and then after that, he the the next round he fell against another armless archer, uh, from Belgium who, uh, he who competed also in the the Paralympics last year for the first time,
1: Piotr van Montagu.
2: Yes, and in that match, Matt was behind, everything was decided in the last end when, uh, the Belgian, uh, missed. Because Matt was in trouble. yeah. And then afterwards, getting through the next rounds, getting to the final, and then in the final, he was on fire. There's no discussion.
1: Seven rounds he had to win to get to the top of the podium. And uh, I can only imagine the mental challenge of something like that. But, uh, you know, World Archery's story on this said a line that reverberated well for me, and that was, what does this final prove if not that there are really no boundaries in this sport uh, all of those guys all of those people that participated in Dubai this past week showed us there really are no boundaries uh, when it comes to archery
2: yeah and I must say one of the other very positive aspects of Dubai uh, and that's with no disrespect uh, for, for past uh, participants and so on is that for the first time we also saw, much younger athletes competing. And and this is, of course, very good for the sport as well.
1: So Matt Stutzman, man, what a stud. He really uh, showed the world what he's capable of, Steve.
0: You know, I was actually, it's really funny. I was, like, talking with some people um, just today, actually. And it, it was a weird thing because I was like, you know, I've seen all of, like, two people shoot a bow with their feet. and I now feel qualified to gauge someone's form, you know, who <laughs> shoots at sure. their feet. It's I a was whole like, category. I was like, his draw length's too short, <laughs> you know, and he's got a draw length like mine already. Um, yeah. So he, yeah, yeah, he's like 30, he's, close, he's 32 and a half. He's pushing all he can and he's definitely short on the draw length. Uh, and then, I, you know, I, I, people I are talking to they were chatting with him about it as well that's kind of how it got brought up and and he is trying to figure out how to get it a little longer i think he's using a pretty long d loop and he just looks cramped in there and i thought well i have no prayer to shoot my feet because i don't know matt's inseam but it's probably about six inches less than mine so I, you know unless we were making uh utah jazz bows again and arrows that are 38 inches long I'm probably done with archery if I have to transition to shooting with my legs.
1: Yeah, I remember one time the basketball player, Carl Malone, came over to Hoyt when I was working at Hoyt and uh, picked up a bow that they custom built for him. Had something on the order of a 36, 36 and a half inch draw at least, I think.
0: I think he's like 30. That was for uh, the other guy who was like 7'2", seven 7'3". Seven the one? A little, Yeah. Yeah, I don't can't remember his name. Um, there's been multiples of those. It might have been Greg Ostertag. Then there was another. Guy ah, you're here. right.
1: No, you're right. It is. It was yeah. Greg Ostertag. Yeah.
0: He's like seven two. And then there was another player, who he just recently died. Uh, he still lived in Park City, and he was like seven four. And I, his name's escaping me. But I don't know if they ever made a bow for him. But Carl Malone's is he's he's about two inches taller than me but he's, he's also like super long armed, I, I think. And yeah, I think his bow is like 34 and a half or something crazy. They, they recently built him something to work.
1: He's an enthusiastic but, uh, archer for sure.
0: Well, the funny, the story I heard was um, he got his new bow. So Carl Malone owns a number of like car dealerships and power sports dealerships here in Utah right for those who Carmelo if you don't know who he is is a former MVP of the National Basketball Association gigantic man he's he's taller than me and just huge shoulders just
1: was on the US team for the Barcelona yeah, Olympic he games was on the I dream team
0: yeah. yeah so the guy is big and um very muscular you know just gigantic yeah. and he so he, he gets his new bow and he didn't have a target, so he just shot two arrows into the back of one of his buildings, into one of his dealerships. He just shot the, the building, and then he was like, oh, <laughs> this is sweet, and, you know, went in and yeah. told the manager, like, hey, uh, there's a couple arrows in the building, sorry. <laughs> I guess when you own the joint, you can do that, right? Yeah,
1: yeah. Fortunately, they were like axis arrows. They didn't break when they hit the building.
0: <laughs> you <know? laughs> he, uh, You know, he, he was probably... He's a big outdoorsman. I think he's from Louisiana originally, and
1: I believe you're right. Yeah,
0: you know he loved uh, elk hunting, and he would train for the season. NBA season starts in like October, so he would train for the season out in the you know in the mountains bow hunting.
1: Which is actually, you know, we consider the altitude and the steepness of the yeah. mountains around Utah. That's pretty good training if you think about yeah, it. Yeah, I
0: mean, you're up at 10,000 plus feet and straight up and down type steep, you know, and he's hiking up and down it at yeah. six, nine, you know, 120 kilo.
1: Big yeah, guy. yeah, yeah, no doubt about it. Plus, you know, the gear that he was carrying and all that stuff. Uh, absolutely a, a great sportsman and somebody who uh, really enjoys archery. You Know uh, one of those archery I, celebrity
0: types. I for, for those wondering 120 kilos, about 260 pounds ish. I, I feel like I just pulled a George there, like I, I threw a measurement in metric <laughs> It's out of nowhere. And I, you it, know,
1: yeah, well, it you didn't phase me at all. I, I was, proud. yeah,
0: I, was I, proud I guess of when you. I think about the podcast, I, I try to remember like most of our viewers are most of our viewers overseas now, our viewers, listeners overseas.
1: No, it's actually 60% US and about 40% international, but yeah.
0: Well, I touch on both, right? And we certainly are giving plenty of Americanisms here and there. So, yeah, you know, it was um, 21
1: degrees here yesterday,
0: which is like (laughs) minus seven Celsius, four Celsius.
1: No, it was 21 degrees Celsius. It was 71 degrees Fahrenheit here yesterday, man.
0: Yeah, it was warm, huh? For some reason. It was was really,
1: yeah. Well, it was, it tied the uh, record for uh for temperature yeah and of course we're gonna get whipsawed into something else this weekend so yeah
0: it's gonna kind of snow <laughs> yeah so indoor archery too. yeah it's it crazy. did
1: it did i got out of my motorcycle i was able to do some of that so that was good
0: i've been wallowing in sadness all day because i don't know when i'm gonna get my motorcycle if when it it's
1: gonna be delivered
0: i don't know it, it could be a year i don't even i don't even know i don't even want it anymore
1: No, here's the thing. With stuff like that, it's like anytime you order something that has a long lead time, say um, a custom firearm or something like that, you pay for it and then you just file it away. You forget about it. And then when it shows up, you're delighted because you weren't anticipating it.
0: Yeah. I get the when people are like, you know, they get, they they order a new Hoyt bow or even right now with arrows, like arrows are backordered, right? It's like just about everything yeah everything is but you know for years and years and years my first three or four years at Easton was really interesting because coming from Hoyt from a bow manufacturer where everything is basically made to order um I was always amazed at Easton yeah it's in stock right we've got it on the shelf and we we were out of pro tours here recently you know we've got most inventory back in um but you know people were harping on me at Vegas. There's no pro tours in stock. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know if you understand how the world is today, but there's not much of anything in stock right now. Right. Yeah. So. And it,
1: it, you know, it helps that all the stuff is made in Salt Lake city, but the problem is some of the carbon fiber comes from Japan. Some of the carbon yeah. fiber, you know, is made in Salt Lake city, but some of it like in pro tours, the carbon fiber in pro tours and in X-10s that comes from Japan in particular the carbon fiber itself, the resin, the resin systems come from Switzerland in some of the arrows. So, you know, you're looking at a situation where it is still in spite of the fact that you have complete control over things once they're under your roof, the aluminum and the epoxy and the carbon fiber and the other materials, those things still have to get to your roof. And where's the aluminum from? Right, the aluminum comes from, in, in our case at Easton, it comes from Iowa of all places. Uh, yeah, but, um, you know, it starts somewhere else too, right? The bauxite has to be mined and then it has to be refined into aluminum. I'm pretty sure that that takes place somewhere outside Iowa, you know, probably at, uh, the U S Canadian border where there's lots of power. you know, uh, Reynolds up there in Messina, yeah. New York. And, and so, you know, at the <laughs> end of the day, you're dealing with, uh, a lot of interconnected stuff. And so it's crazy. Yeah, it is. But, you know, I mean, at least, you know, I personally am looking at a friend of mine who's trying to buy a new car right now. And I'm like, oof, you know, that's a painful thing right now.
0: Order and wait. Yeah.
1: Yeah. But with that said, there's a lot of things that people can do to uh, help ameliorate some of this stuff. First thing is, Check with your local dealer. You might be surprised at the inventory that a local dealer might have in stock.
0: Yeah. The pipeline, you know, may not be empty.
1: Right. Because it, you know, the pipeline is is exactly that. It's long. It goes from, you know, a company like Easton sells to dealers directly, but also sells to distributors overseas. Those distributors oftentimes have reserved stock. And they in turn can provide things to their local dealers. And so there's more than one way. You know, if you shop around and you're patient, there's more than one way to get what you need in time for the outdoor season, which is coming upon us relatively quickly. And the other thing to consider is, you know, if you if you buy products that have good, long working lives, the value is there at times like these. You Odds are, if you had a couple dozen X-10s before the pandemic started, that same couple dozen X-10s is still serving you fine right now.
0: Yeah, it's true.
1: So... You know, change out your knocks, get yourself some fresh knock pins, you know, reglue your points and boom, you're, you're looking at something that could very well be just as serviceable as a brand new set that came off of the truck. And as we look at outdoor season coming up, Steve, you know, we, as you pointed out, a couple of weeks from now, Louisville's coming up. Obviously, that's going to be a major focus for a lot of folks in the U.S. and some international as well. Louisville um, is
0: funny because it's the first time we shoot outdoor. If if everything goes well, you're shooting outdoor in Louisville. Right. And people are like, what do you mean? You're putting X tens on that bow for the shoot-off, right? You're getting ready with the small stuff. So right.
1: Because it's NFAA and because yeah. Inside Out comes into play at a certain point.
0: At the shoot-off, yep. Yep. So why don't
1: you yeah, explain how that works for people that don't know.
0: Yeah. The the five spot face is the the <sighs>
1: So that's the, the blue and white category,
0: face. Yeah. The professional category. It's like the least favorite. They shoot it a little bit in IFAA. If you do that at all, IFA indoor blue and white, um, it has an X ring. Well, the and, white is five ring. And then the, there's an X ring within that. That's the same size as a Vegas 10 or a world archery recurve 10.
2: Right.
0: And so four centimeters. And, uh, Basically you, shoot you're
1: going to keep more, that you're going to keep that clean in your category, right?
0: Yeah, I mean most recently it's been like 25 guys you shoot two rounds of 60. So you shoot 60 arrows the first day, 60 arrows the second day and lately there's been about 25 of the guys shoot clean. It's been ridiculous. Um, and then then you get into the shoot off and you shoot one round regular scoring, kind of like the Vegas shoot off, and then you go to inside out. So the arrow has to be inside the the x-ring without touching the line from the inside that's why guys switch to a small diameter arrow that way it's just like shooting a large diameter the you know you can touch the line the inside x line at vegas with the the point of the arrow the the dead center of the arrow further away in this scenario you can get closer to that line with the dead center of the arrow and not touch it right so you go to the smallest arrow you can and there's been some controversy around that. And personally, I'd like to see, you know, maybe a rule change where you pick your arrow at the start of the event and then you, you're not allowed to change, but as the rules are right now, everybody changes and you'd be, you'd be stupid not to. I mean, truthfully, no one has won with a big arrow since probably 2015. And I think that was Mike Schlosser with a 23 size arrow after that. Um, Everyone has used a smaller outdoor type arrow since then,
1: and it's completely within the rules. Therefore, you you would right. be you'd be well served by doing what the Jesse Broadwaters and Linda Andersons of the world are going to do. I mean, that's important. the um, The other big news from you know the past couple of weeks is World Archery has decided on the location for the finals for the World Cup, and it's going to be in. Laxcala, Mexico.
0: Yeah. The joke about that place is that Mexican people make jokes about it and they act like it doesn't exist. It's kind of a running joke they've got. And I, You know, you might have seen, if the, you saw the World Archery announcement, you might have seen a lot of jokes in the comments from people. Like, what is a Laxcala? Uh, is that a certain type of taco? Stuff like that, like people saying really silly stuff.
1: Well, it's, it's kind of the Yankton of Mexico.
0: I'm, I am not familiar with it, so that explains a lot.
1: <laughs> well, it's the capital of the state of Laxcala. It's one of the oldest colonial cities in Mexico. It's about uh, 65, 70 miles east of Mexico City. So everybody's going to fly into Mexico City. And then, you know, basically they can go straight to the venue. Um, and it's walking distance from the hotel so the the logistics in mexico city where they've had a couple of events before not a problem in Laxcala. it's going to be very easy for the athletes to get around um you know so that's actually a really good thing yeah. kind of like how you know it's really convenient once you get to yankton it's real convenient to be able to get around and so if uh, Laxcala is you know kind of a similar thing it's a smaller city well outside of mexico city um but you know there's gonna be one heck of a enthusiastic crowd in mexico they They love archery down there,
0: yeah, it'll be a good event too if it's the same people who have put on the previous events there they they do a very good job
1: so. yeah it would be awesome if uh if Linda can uh you know find a way to <laughs> you know get to that level and 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 make it to that final uh yeah,
0: I'm not sure how that would play out. she might you know.
1: No, I bet I bet they'd support fools. her. No, I don't think so. Yeah, remember that she medaled in a Mexican team uniform in 2015 and in 2018. Yeah. Um, you know, and uh, uh, Ida Roman, the Olympic silver medalist, she won the World Cup final in 2014 back in uh, Lausanne, Switzerland. Don't know mm-hmm. if she's going to be up and running for this particular um, season, but uh, we do know that uh, she we is. Have she a- is on the team. Okay. And then you've got you know people like Ana Vasquez and Andrea Becerra, uh, so Mexico has got some great shooters, uh, you know, and uh, Luis Alvarez of course and Alejandro Valencia. Um, they won the mixed team uh, bronze medal in Tokyo 2020. So we have some archery stars right out of Mexico, and Mexico will have those uh, home field tickets for the finals, um, meaning that they'll have athlete slots as the hosts. And so uh, that's 15 and 16 of October. So that's, you know, interesting, Steve, we got April in Antalya for the first stage, um, May in Guangzhou, Korea for the second stage, Paris in June for the third stage, then straight to Medellin, Colombia for the fourth stage, and then a pretty good gap there between July and October.
0: Yeah, I haven't you know i actually just opened my archery calendar and i went through july and then i have you know i have a sub, couple things in august that i put tbd on like u.s outdoor nationals um but it lately we've there, been having the outdoor season run into october which is just long and now yeah you know if we can wrap this this year. up by end of summer i think everyone will be pumped have our yeah. have a true fall break
1: Remember, we've got the World Games in Birmingham, Alabama coming up in July as well, and uh, that's going to be uh, two days of compound and uh, four days, I believe, of recurve competition taking place there. Uh, the compound yeah, will be target archery.
0: Uh, our well, our homie Hannah Brown from the UK, I think she's like the head of judges, or she's running the archery. Correct. I don't know. I don't remember yep. what she's doing. She was just there, and I, you know, I think you and I maybe we even talked about this, and maybe you made the joke like. You know, it's Birmingham, not Birmingham.
1: Yeah. I, I, don't know if, I don't know if we talked about it in the context of Hannah, but, you know, as you know, Hannah is uh, a law enforcement officer for the London Metropolitan Police and I a judge. didn't know uh,
0: that.
1: Yeah. Yeah, she's like a, a sergeant or something. And um, uh, we were just trading stories about riding motorcycles the other day because she was commuting home in London. And she mentioned to me that her trousers had, had gotten wet because it was raining when she was riding. And I told her, well, we share the same problem. My trousers got wet, too, because of Utah drivers. (laughs)
0: Yes. (laughs) Well, until she's been hit by a Subaru, she has nothing on you.
1: That's right. Let's hope nothing like that ever happens to her.
0: It was a Subaru, right?
1: It was a Subaru.
0: Yes, I really enjoy that fact. (laughs) (laughs)
1: That That I got hit by a Subaru? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah in utah which is more than likely you know
1: yeah but it had washington plates
0: oh man i guess yeah. that's kind of likely as well
1: yeah anyway
0: um <laughs> <laughs> many people don't know that you got hit by a car on your motorcycle
1: no probably not i don't think i've talked about it very much
0: you got away pretty yeah you know, i mean it could have been a lot worse right
1: I've got a slight limp. Other than that, I'm okay. Yeah. Could have been worse. Could have been worse.
0: They bought you a new motorcycle, right?
1: Uh, They did more than that, yes. <laughs> 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 All right. Back to the sport. Back to archery. Uh, MotoGP, by the way, starts this weekend. Did you see that?
0: Um, in, in, in <laughs> back, to, back to archery. Hey, MotoGP. I, I did know it was starting, and Formula One is this month, and sports, man. Sports are happening.
1: Yeah. And speaking of uh, things that are happening, I, I forgot to mention, did you see the prize package? It's 200,000 Swiss francs, which is the same as about $200,000, for the finals alone. This year, 320,000 Swiss francs uh, for the circuit, and 200,000 of that will be awarded in And And So what are they
0: doing like – 30 to the winner.
1: The champion will take 28, 28 to the champion. Uh huh. Probably half that to second place. Um, so it adds up fast. And, um, and then, yeah. And then down from there, they do pay the same for men and women in, in yeah. WA events. Um, you know, it's not driven by the number of entries like the Vegas shoot is. So, um, you know, they can they can afford to, well, I don't know about afford to, but they can, uh, choose to, uh, pay equally. Uh, And in that situation, it makes sense. You know, a lot of of folks wonder, how come in the women's event in the Vegas shoot, when it used to have a men's event and a women's event, now you have an open event, right? But back in the day when it had a men's event and a women's event, how come the men's event paid more? And the answer was because basically the prize package is funded by the entry fees from the shooters, and there were five times more men shooting at the time. Yeah. But with WA, um, because they allocate the money from their budget, they can choose to very appropriately pay the same for each category, and yeah, uh, so it's a good thing.
0: And they they do, and you know, I'll say overall, they pay um, you know they pay really well for a final. I don't yes. even remember what it was, if anything, for you know a World Cup stage. But the you know if you're out there looking to make money as a pro archer your whole goal is to make that final. If you're shooting the world cups.
1: Yeah. 28,000 so Swiss francs. And uh, I don't know yeah. if they're still doing the watch these days. I, I think maybe not, but uh, back in the day when they had Longine and, and uh, I think it was Belmore before that, um, you know, you get a Longine watch. You, those things are three grand alone.
0: Yeah. Mine, uh, mine was about that much, like 3,300, I think.
1: Yeah so maybe it's like 30
0: 3300 euro even i forget
1: it's up there you know uh, those are not inexpensive those swiss watches and uh i expect that uh some of the archery manufacturers will also kick in with some contingency money for that uh sort of thing
0: oh yeah yeah it's a lucrative thing
1: yeah and you know for the shooter it's lucrative i i I think that WA has really done a good job of making it more media accessible and uh, something that people can follow. Um, I do know they're working on TV contracts for it. There's probably going to be, you know, Eurosport, that kind of thing. Um, So it's going to have good exposure for our sport just in time to get ready for indoor season later this year.
0: Yeah. You always hope that, um, you know, with those World Cup events, that they're, they're viewable. Live or you know the next day because a lot of times they might happen in the middle of the night for the people over here. But um you always hope that they're viewable quickly, you know. And I know that at times when certain entities have the TV contract or whatever, you know, you don't get to watch it for like a week or you can if you can watch it live. But if you don't see it live, you can't watch it for a little while. Yeah, but they've only done a good job of breaking the matches up and getting them on YouTube as soon as they're allowed to.
1: Yes. And this one should be accessible for anybody in the U.S. pretty easily. Uh, You're looking at Central Time U.S. for that time zone for Laxcala. And so I would expect, uh, knowing what we know right now, it'll be available live when it happens. So that should be a great thing. And, of course, uh, there will be the usual WA YouTube live streaming for Turkey, for Korea, for France, and for Colombia as well. So lots of uh, great viewing ahead um, for All four stages plus the final of the World Cup this year. I'm kind of excited. We're finally back to a full World Cup because, you know, it was pretty much truncated last year due to, among other things, the fact that the Tokyo Olympic Games were pushed ahead to last year. Um, We had a situation where it really had only three World Cup events last year.
0: Right. It was, uh, and that's normal in, in the Olympic year. So it just, you know, as we've talked about, it's scheduling and all that has been tough to say the least. And I think we're at a stage now you know, I say this, uh, tentatively.
1: Yeah. With, with due caution, you know, once bitten twice shy, but yeah, it's starting to feel a little more normal, isn't it Steve?
0: I remember at Vegas 2020, Brady Ellison was talking to me and Linda and he said something to, they were talking about, they were on, they were going to the world cup, right. In Shanghai. And Brady said, well, you know, I'm not sure it's going to happen with this virus thing they're talking about. And, you know, this is still kind of fresh in the news for a lot of us. And, uh, I said, if, if this virus is still a problem in May, we're going to have bigger problems. Yeah. That turned
1: out to be prescient, didn't it?
0: Yeah, I was right. I was right, and I didn't want to be. Um, no, of course not. But it's one of those things, you know, you're like, uh, so. now,
1: strict, Strictly speaking, um, we don't talk about 3D archery much, but you got to go to Foley, Alabama for the 3D event that took place, the ASA, the Archery Shooters Association event that took place there, yeah. shooting at 3D uh, deer and uh, other animals. And uh, I saw you shot in the um, Pro 50, uh, the Pro <laughs> 50.
0: Yeah, I shot. It wasn't much. It well,
1: time. I understand. The thing is, the people that do well at that stuff, they own all the targets and they, they know exactly where that yeah. just a little bigger than a 10 ring, 12 ring is located. You know, and that's half the battle is knowing where that thing is, isn't it?
0: Well, it's even, it, you know, I would even say it, it is half the battle. I'll call it 40% of the battle. And that, well, let's go with a third of the battle. One third battle. Uh The other, the the next third, which is hard for people like me, is not only aiming at the right spot, but continuing to aim at the right spot and aiming well at it. Like sometimes when I'm shooting at a 3D, it's easy for me to, you know, I can look, I can know exactly where I want to aim, but I just don't get good feedback on where I actually broke. And then, especially like I was chasing sight tape the whole weekend, you know. We'd turn around from one side of the range to the other, and you'd hit high or low. We had kind of a headwind, tailwind, a little bit of crosswind. It was just weird. And and uh, well, as we
1: talked about before, this is pretty close to the coast of the uh, Gulf, uh, yeah. Gulf of Mexico, and as a result, you're dealing with ocean wind conditions, kind of thing.
0: Right. But here's the real hard part about ASA: you shoot one arrow, you don't always know. Okay, where did I actually? Where was I actually aiming when I broke that shot? It's hard to determine. Yeah, that was a good shot. It hit here. All right, I'm going to make this adjustment. So like if I go to Redding and I shoot one and it hits, you know, low in the dot and I go, I broke that in the middle. Okay. I'm going to add four or five clicks. And I do that. Boom. It hits middle. All right. Maybe I got a little, little tape issue. I can clean that up and go the rest of the time, but I have a dot to reference. It's easier for me to understand the quality of my shot because I'm aiming at something rather than aiming at, you know, a foam animal with maybe nothing, no definition or trying to aim off an arrow like that's very hard to in in 3d you're often aiming off an arrow or triangulating something you know going okay i'm two inches to the left of this arrow and three inches down from that arrow that's where i need to be um so that that it makes it really hard to give yourself good feedback and then make an adjustment if you're not getting you know point of impact that you need and you're Mm -hmm. shooting giant arrows right we're shooting 25 27 size arrows yeah. 50 yards outdoor in the wind a little wind really blows those things around they're not yeah. that heavy they're, they're lighter than my uh x10s oh it's just very difficult the third then the third third of 3d is you know actually making a good shot because you're aiming at an inch and a half i think it's one and five eighths the 12 inch the 12 ring or something like that we yeah close to that yes yeah. last time yeah, yeah. and yeah It's it you know, I think your average target for our class is probably 43 yards. You're like, okay, that's not like, you know, it's not super far, 43 yards, but you get one shot at it, right? <laughs> so, it's it's tough. There's constant variables because every shot is different, and
1: people love it though. They the turnout for yeah. that thing is is epic. I mean, they're they're just as big as a Vegas shoot in some of those 3D events in
0: They got, it was about 2000 people at this one. So yeah, that's, that's about as big as they typically get. So good size. So not Um, as big
1: as a Vegas shoot. I must've been thinking of other other 3d events I've heard of in the past.
0: Yeah. But they're the biggest, you know, they're the biggest outdoor archery events in the world probably. Right. You know, of archery event shot outside.
1: Yeah. I'll bet they are. And, you know, uh, people seem to really like being able to drive to those things. So a lot of them are, uh, concentrated in areas that aren't that hard to get to. If you're driving, say, you're willing to drive eight hours, it's within a substantial portion of the people who are enthusiastic about shooting 3D.
0: Very few uh, people fly to them for some reason, you know?
1: Yeah, that was what I was getting at. And I it's, also think that um, the the future plan, of course, is to start moving, not moving, but adding uh, events in the northern part of the country, a little closer to some of the bigger population centers.
0: I don't know what their plan is. That's what everyone's always hoped for. You know, everyone always has the pipe dream of an ASA out West too. Yeah. Like, yeah I get, I get that, but.
1: So it's recently really interesting
0: heard- because it's a circuit, right. And there's right. year long awards and there's, you know, obviously individual events and people like to shoot the circuit. And I'm not sure because of the nature of, of their uh, consumer, their, their consumer is not a flyer. They're a road tripper. So. Uh you hold one in Utah or Colorado and it's a, you know, 23 hour drive. I'm not sure people are coming.
1: No, I think you're quite right. And, you know, we did touch on that a little bit when we had a chance to talk with Rob Koffold recently on the podcast and uh, uh, you know, Rob's uh, competition archery media company has um, acquired an interest in the ASA circuit, they're partnering. And um, one of the goals uh, is to have a few events further North, but still focused mostly in the Eastern part of the U S because to your point, um, not only is it logistically difficult for people who are interested in shooting the 3d circuit to get to the events, if they're requiring a 20 something hour drive, but it's also hard to find a venue that can accommodate that many people, you know, and that becomes a, that becomes a significant issue. I believe that, uh, A place like Foley, for example, which is well-oriented to this, is the exception, not the rule. So, you know, it's hard to find a venue that can accommodate all of these desirable elements. And you don't want to have an event that's going to throw people off from the standpoint of their, their circuit. Now, there's other events that have become quite popular that are technically not considered competitive events, but they're sort of archery recreational events right the uh, total archery challenge
0: yeah and those are more of like a they're almost like a kind of like a bow hunters rendezvous
1: yeah or a festival so, kind of
0: yeah atmosphere, they're, right they're not a they're not a competitive event um yeah. you know and, I, I, I wish there were but i don't think it's i don't i don't think it it is Honestly, what they have going is really good, and sometimes you just don't mess with something that's really good. So yeah,
1: good point. In uh, fact, they've, they've had those here in Utah a few times. Um, they have them at ski areas a lot. Uh, it's where they it originated,
0: to, basically. Yeah,
1: and so there's they have them back east. Uh, they have them in uh, here in Utah, the western part of the United States. I, I several different venues. I believe Park City, Utah, this year is is one of those.
0: but it's not here yeah
1: yeah it's not really a target archery event though is
0: it no it's not if you showed up with your target you probably get looked at funny um you know more people are going to be shooting with their hunting backpack on than shooting with uh an arrow with glue and points but yeah (laughs) i mean that's not even close to things most everyone is going to have a hunting backpack on and boots and You know, it's kind of a cool place for them to go and test gear because you're walking around steep mountains at 10,000 feet and they can go and test their hiking boots and things like that. It's just – it's a big – yeah, it's a bowhunter rendezvous is what it is.
1: They can hang out with Carl Malone and launch arrows at car dealerships. Yes. (laughs) I think that's a perfect place to stop right there. What do you think?
0: I feel like we need a – we need more of like, okay, what's next and what are we going to? Yeah. And then we'll, we'll lead out from there and okay. come up with something witty to end it on.
1: So, getting back to the uh, getting back to the indoor season, which is still underway, uh, what are your plans to prep for Louisville now?
0: I'm, uh, I'm going to shoot my bow. I don't practice five spot, I refuse.
1: No, I don't it's blame the most
0: you. Boring of the games that there is. I don't know why. You know, it's. I'll tell you what. Back in
1: back in the day, shooting a five spot with a recurve and trying to get it clean—that was a challenge.
0: Yeah, and it, you know, it still would be. Still would be for a lot unless of people.
1: You're, unless you're Brady, yeah. <laughs> you
0: know? Yeah, Brady's on another realm of shooting indoor twenty yards than everybody else. Uh huh. So. But yeah, yeah it's you know.
1: actually quite a good challenge to shoot that five spot with a recurve bow and keep it clean. It's it's yeah. not that easy now. Now, when I say clean, uh, remember, it's got a five-point spot that's the size of a nine-ring on a uh, world archery face. It's it's not that hard.
0: It's like kings of archery recurve scoring, basically. There you go. But shooting 60 arrows for a 300. Yes. So, yeah.
1: And, you know, I think that it has some, uh, especially in Canada and in the eastern part of the United States, there's still quite a few clubs that shoot that round.
0: Oh, it's huge. I think, I think there's usually uh, a little over 2000 people at that event. And I want to say only like eight or 900 of them attend Vegas. So you have more unique individuals at that event than you do repeat individuals from Vegas. And most of them, I think it comes down
1: to being able to drive. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yeah. They're from a, an area close enough to drive, you know, the the Northern States, Northeast, very popular there. Michigan, Wisconsin—you get a lot of that. Um,
1: in you know, go to a place like Pennsylvania. There's a lot of sportsmen's clubs with 1,800, two thousand members, and they'll have league nights for archery. That'll be the round they shoot quite often yeah. in, a re- in a league night.
0: Yep, in PA, Ohio, they'll do a lot of that stuff. So it's, uh, you know, it's still it's a good event. um
1: if you're an international shooter and you're thinking about shooting it, and you know a lot of international shooters have come to shoot that, uh, yeah, it's not it's gonna going to be hard. More and more. Yeah. Who's that? Huh? Who's that?
0: Oh well, like uh, you know, Mike won it in 2015. Then,
1: well, yeah, yeah, that's what I was driving. A few
0: years there, you know, Stefan won it, and then uh, P or sorry, uh, Sergio had come, and I want to say Sebastian Pinot had had been there. So more and more of the of the international shooters are, are attending and, and, uh, you Yeah. Know, my point is that,
1: that that, five spot target's not that hard to learn. I mean, you can shoot it. No. If you can shoot, if you can shoot WA scoring, absolutely. You can shoot the five spot easy.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's the, the challenge in five spot is staying focused, making 60 good strong arrows and staying focused and enduring a five hour round sometimes. Uh, <laughs> yeah that, that. that yeah that has happened before so it's um but it's a fun you know when the shoot off i think is very fun i think that style of shoot off is fun so
1: and some serious careful. money some serious money in that particular one as well
0: yeah you win that you know i think nfa typically pays about ten thousand, then you get your contingency dollars and all that fun stuff so
1: yeah not a bad but, but, yeah. weekend's work
0: my, my thing is I'm always like, all right, indoors in indoor is over after Vegas in my mind Sure. and we're still like dragging it into March, late March shooting indoors. And, you know, we had 70 degree weather yesterday and it's going to snow tomorrow. So I guess it's still kind of indoor season with hints of outdoor season, but most of us are ready to move on, start that prep for. Arizona cup and, and all that, but Hey, I'll tell you this. I got my first sunburn of the year in Foley, so I won't get it in Arizona.
1: Because you'll have been pre-tanned.
0: I'm yeah. I'm basically just like, like golden Greek God look right now. My skin ready to go. Maybe not quite that far, but, um, yeah, will take a little, take a little of that heat out of Arizona. Maybe
1: we'll maybe. see. Maybe hope so.
0: Anyhow, um,
1: what is your preferred, uh, sunscreen solution for archery?
0: I don't know. I forget to put it on a lot. Do you have issues with the spray on sunscreens?
1: I don't use sunscreen. I'm, I'm, I'm of a Mediterranean background.
0: Yeah. You truly are Greek. Um, yeah, I don't know. Maybe we'll have, uh, you know what we need is an archery dermatologist to be on you know what i've been thinking actually is we should as archers we should wear more like in the u.s we don't wear sun protection a lot whereas you see like korea yeah korea i saw the photos from the mexican team trials they're all wearing sun like long sun shirts and (laughs) hats yeah and and shorts but they've got leggings underneath like they're staying out of the sun and it's smart and uh yeah, it's, I'm going to try to talk Hoyt into saying, "Hey, let's get some jerseys with, you know, a little sun hood, like something I'd wear fly fishing."
1: You know, I have a um, Arcteryx sun hood that's made for, you know, action pistol. Right, it's uh, it is actually cooler to wear that thing in bright sunshine than it is to go bareheaded. And something like that for, for archery probably would work just fine. Just flip the hood on,
0: off your dome.
1: Yeah. Especially when you have a dome like mine. (laughs) Blind everybody.
0: Oh, well, um, I feel like there was something else, like really super important. We were going to mention. I'm sure there was. Do you remember? No. Was there?